This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. The erosion of government and fiscally unsound public policies have led America down the wrong path, leaving most Americans concerned about their economic future. In her new book, Jacked, How Conservatives Are Picking Your Pocket, Whether You Voted for Them or Not, our guest today, Nomi Prinz, shows how the conservative agenda affects your wallet, and not just your money. Before becoming a journalist, Prinz worked on Wall Street as a managing editor at Goldman Sachs, she is now a senior fellow at Demos, a national public policy organization, the author of the acclaimed Other People's Money, and has written for the New York Times, Newsday, Fortune, and The Guardian. Nomi Prince, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thank you so much. Thanks How, for having me. Well, thanks for, uh, nice to have you with us. How are you doing today? Everything good? I'm doing well. It's yeah. a lovely day here in New York, and uh, glad to be on the phone with you guys. Sounds like you guys are on a, uh, a streak there in New York. I forget who we spoke with last week. My mind's a blank. But uh, uh, okay, I was speaking with a number of California shows last night, so it's, uh. it's good to keep the bi-coastal thing moving. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Oh, terrific. So, so tell me, what, what inspired you to write the book? Was there a, a moment where you said, I've had enough of, of uh, conservatives pretending that they're uh, protecting our pocketbooks? Well, there were, there were two things. One is, yeah, the, the, the whole sort of hypocr- hypocritical um, nature of, of how conservatives go about talking about themselves is, is just kind of annoying. They, they have not been conservative with the country's budget. They have created the highest national debt, highest deficit, you just trade and balance. I mean, they, they've just done everything completely non-conservative that you could do with the country's budget while they've been basically pinching the, the pockets of people. So, so that was one thing that was going on in my head. And then the other thing was I wanted to write a book that was actually about the people in this country first, as opposed to just talking about the policies in, in Washington and kind of that whole political jargon that we like to do from Washington and New York. Yeah. And I wanted to get out in the country and actually see what was going on, not just read stuff, not just listen, but actually be out on the ground talking to people about what their concerns were. And so that kind of led to a road trip around the country um, for four months, four or five months, and that was also how Jacked was born. Well, tell me a little bit about what some of the things you found out there. Was there one thing that really struck you about uh, about your trip? Well, I think uh, the one thing that, that I found after realizing how amazing Expedia.com is in helping me to uh, create <laughs> the trip, um, which I hadn't known before, um, was that, that people... When you, when you don't talk to them or lead them with what a poll would ask them, what are the things you are concerned about, these are the things you should rank. When you just say, you know what, let's talk about your wallet, which was the kind of organizing common item in Jacked. Everyone in the country has a wallet. Everyone has cards, you know, from a driver's license to credit cards to health insurance cards, which some people have, and of course 47 million don't. But... What surprised me were two things. One is that when I set out on the road um, with this sort of idea of how hypocritical uh, the government can seem, I thought that I would 
really keep a cynical attitude and that I would just be faced with a lot of cynicism around the country. And I didn't really find that. I found some stories that were frustrating and very, very sad. And then I found some people who, you know, were, were doing amazingly or creating you know, new funding for their communities or whatever it might be on the ground or picking up the pieces after Katrina in Mississippi. And I found that actually uplifting. So it was, it was kind of a combination of those two things. But I found that the most highest concern of people around the country um, were gas prices and the state of their health insurance when yeah. we talked about cars. Those were the two major things that, that kept coming up. Yeah. Now, now, gas prices, of course, since it's getting near election time, they're coming down. So, so I mean, right there, there's a, there's a lot, <laughs> lot said, I, I, I guess, as far as the way conservatives are manipulating public opinion, or at least the, the gas companies are manipulating public opinion and how they're connected to this. Well, and you have to see that. Obviously, the gas companies and the Republicans are sort of, you know, one in the same in terms of how they, they deal with public opinion, mm-hmm. in that, you know, after Katrina, we saw gas prices rise hugely. Um, we had, you know, gas companies had their highest, most profitable quarter ever, right after all these people were decimated in the Gulf, and, and supposedly because all these refineries had been destroyed, which in fact wasn't, wasn't really the case. But that said, they were hauled up in front of the Senate because people and certain politicians and certain activist groups were like, what's the deal? Why are they, why are they allowed to make so much money in a situation where people are really struggling? And their answer was, well, we need the money. Yeah. They said, at the Senate, not under oath, although that right. was not a lie. They, I'm sure, wanted the money. But, uh, and, and that was kind of the deal. And I was, at the same time, you know, I was down in New Orleans. I was speaking to one of the, you know, many people down there, but this one fellow who's in the book, Ozzy Laporte, this, like, fantastic, bubbling, wonderful tour guide who's gone through complete hell. Um, he'd been in New Orleans five generations, you know, family ties, very, very deep. And all of a sudden, not only has Katrina happened and everybody's left, and he has no tour operation because nobody is coming to tour, but he also has these vans that he has to operate even if one person is touring, when there used to be 20 people in his van. So he's got this dual situation of very few people and higher expenses. And I said, you know, what do you think of this whole oil company people up in the Senate saying they need the money? And his answer was, you know, I can't think about it. It's way too frustrating. I do what I can. You know, I'm even shipping people back and forth to the airport instead of touring just to make my ends meet. And I really, really wish I had my own lobbyist. Yeah. We're yeah. speaking with uh, Nomi Prince, the author of Jacked, How Conservatives Are Picking Your Pocket. Mike? Well, you were just saying uh, you started out in a sort of a cynical mode, and I'm sure it- as you were driving around the country, it couldn't have been helped by listening to most of what AM radio or talk radio uh, is telling you and telling the, uh, uh, the majority of the American people. Um, but out of it, you, you said you came away with some sense that the American people are resourceful and that they have the ability, if given the, the opportunity and the resources, to make a good go of it. Yeah, and I, and I think that's a good and bad thing with respect to government. I mean, it's a good thing in that it's it's, it's uplifting to know that people in really bad circumstances will get together and will work with each other um, and, and will make a go of it. But on the other hand, it also underscores, you know, what we're talking about in the beginning of, of this program about the message that's coming out of 
of the government, of the conservatives, which is that the government isn't really there to help. And so on the one hand, what was uplifting was that I didn't have a lot of people just, you know, complaining when, when we discussed all things, although a lot of them had some really dire um, circumstances. Um, but at the same time, there is this sense that it's not really the government's responsibility to help me anyway. And even when I think it should be, as in the case of, you know, post-Katrina, where, where FEMA was just a miserable failure, um, and, and it's still kind of sad down there, that um, they, don't, they don't expect as much um, from their government. And I think that's been the message that's come across that's really been very effective. It's a sad comment on the American, on American uh, system at this point where people, and this has been something I think I've, I've thought for a long time, which is most of the time, uh, I mean the vast majority of the time, what people's lives are very rarely uh, impacted by, by the actions of government. If we get up, go to work, pay our taxes, put our kids in school, etc., etc., the government doesn't usually impact our lives significantly. But what we've seen since the Reagan administration with Republican administration since is we put people in charge of government whose objective is the destruction of the of those services that they're in charge of. And you go back to uh, James Watt, the uh, interior secretary, who essentially was about destroying the, the D- Department of the Interior. And you've got a list of number of people since then. So you've got people in charge of government who don't really believe in government. And that is reflected in Katrina and, and so many other instances. Well, yeah, and it's also reflected in, in just what they've done with the budget. It goes yeah. back to this label of, of conservatives. They've, this administration and this Congress has actually created, again, the most bloated budget in terms of how much we owe other countries, in terms of you yeah. know how our products are paid for in other countries, which is that it, it is more expensive for us to import things than ever before, and we get far less for exporting, which hurts our workers. I mean, there's all these things that they have done yeah. that, that actually not only do they, do they indicate not caring about government and their responsibility to the people of this country, but, but they've just been so poor at doing anything even from an economic standpoint. So they've done things like cut Medicare and cut Medicaid and cut higher education budgets um, by amounts that really hurt where they bloated the rest of the budget. And I think when people actually see that connection, and one thing that was actually a good moment for me, I was um, talking to a lot of students around the country, um, and I wound up in this uh, journalism class at Oklahoma University, and I was talking to the students. It was a very free kind of conversation. There was like 60 or 70 of them in the room, and we were just talking about the cost of education. And a lot of those students actually had their parents paying for it, I'd say half, and the other half were working several jobs. It was, it was really a mix. And the ones with the parents paying kind of recognized they were lucky and had this sort of guilt associated with that. And the ones that were working all these jobs, many of them had had to, you know, leave school for a semester because they just couldn't balance both and they couldn't pay for the tuition or whatever it was. And I said, hey, do you know that we just had this higher education thing cut by $12 billion in Washington? Which there's no reason for them to know. It's not like it was in the headlines. It's not like... Mm -hmm. Someone sent them the memo that said, oh, by the way, it's, it's going to be harder for, for you or people coming into school to, to pay for things. Um, but knowing that that was the case, people on both sides of the room um, were really annoyed. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, I think it's also the message. I mean, people have this inner rebel in them. I just think it's not connected to how 
um, we can make the government accountable for just daily things that we need. It's a shame that we don't have a, a media that that connects the dots for us. It seems that that's, in fact, uh, just the opposite is true. It seems that a lot of media now is uh, is about not connecting dots. Well, uh, are, they're involved in picking your pockets, too. I well, think. apparently they might. I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Nomi Prinz, and the book is Jacked, How Conservatives... I'm going to, I'm going to are picking your pocket. Uh, I know you don't want to go wonky on us here, but I'm going to run through a couple of things that uh, jump out at me uh, as a list of sort of conservative ripoffs that have occurred in the last few years. Sure. Um, obviously, the big one is the, the biggest budget deficit and trade imbalance ever, and, uh, and at the same time cutting into domestic, domestic needs like education, Medicare, and Medicaid. The fact that pri- uh, gas prices have doubled under the Bush administration, that the, co- the U.S. Congress has voted, the Republican Congress has voted against minimum wage increase every single time, except when it's wedded to the estate tax, which is a tax break for the rich. And we could go on and on. The one thing I'm curious about is the, uh, the uh, bankruptcy uh, yeah. uh, bill that was passed by the Senate. Uh, how, do, how does that work? I mean, it seems like it's protecting corporations and, and going after individuals. Am I, is that a, a good read? Uh, it's pretty accurate. And actually, you know, credit cards are really fascinating because when I went and talked to people about, you know, their, their debt, um, people really uh, internalize their debt. They, they really consider it their problem. And part of the, the media um, take on that is also that, you know, you're, you're an individual, you know, it's your responsibility. If you are in debt, you know, call this number, consolidate your debt, you know, whatever it might be. And and to some extent, there you know that's that's fair. But but to another extent, a lot of people are using their credit cards for you know paying for gas because it got so much higher than their budget, or paying for additional health, um, or, or drugs that this administration created some really bizarre um, hacks into. Um, so so that's just bizarre. So when all of this is happening, and we have our highest personal debt, but a much higher national debt. You know, the Republican Congress gets together and, and talks about an act that has been in front of Congress several times, but never with this majority of Republicans in Congress, which is called the Bankruptcy Abuse and Consumer Protection Act. So, so this, this act, which is called, you know, you know, Help Us Save Ourselves from Ourselves Act, is, is basically saying, all right, it's, it's harder for individuals to declare bankruptcy, which impacted about 2 million Americans. But not only that, if you have to declare bankruptcy because of an emergency illness, because you came back from a war, because you got fired from a company that is also going bankrupt but doesn't have to pay you. Um, and any of those reasons are were written in by the Republicans in addition to this act to basically make sure that if anyone for those reasons filed bankruptcy, their primary asset, their home, if they owned one, would not be protected. So, you know, Consumer Protection Act... Uh-huh. Uh, not really kind of what it was. Well, it, it is kind of a bankruptcy abuse act, only it's... That's true. <laughs> that's that part right. the, the abusive part is right. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, and and I, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the percentage of bankruptcy, personal bankruptcies related to medical debt has skyrocketed to the point where, is it 50% of all personal bankruptcies now are a direct result or greatly impacted certainly by... Uh, by medical expenses, is that is that statistics? It, it's close to that. It's between forty and fifty percent, and and then you know whether it's specifically because of the medical expense or right. it's because of other expenses right. that piled up because of, of of a health or disability reason. 
um, it's, it's, it's really quite high. And, of course, we know how poor health insurance is in this country and how much worse it has gotten in the last um, five or six years that, you know, it's all kind of packaged together yeah. Um, under bankruptcy, under health insurance, under whatever, it all, you know, hits us on the right. day-to-day. Well, if there are 45, 47 million Americans who are without insurance, chances are they're not in a high-income bracket to start with. So any kind of medical expense is going to push them over that very, very steep edge. Um, We're so, talking with uh, Nomi Prince. The author of Jacked, How Conservatives Are Picking Your Pocket. I just want to say, too, I, I love the way you laid the book out, that you are going through someone's wallet and, and you're looking at, at their cards and then you're relating the cards to you know something that touches their lives instead of, like you said uh, earlier on, that it's a, uh, it's, a, it's a wonkish book. It's not. It's a, it's a straightforward book. Yeah. And the, the card, too, uh, Social Security card, do you think that we're, we're headed for a... Is, is, uh, the Bush administration or the next Republican administration, will they going to hack away at Social Security? you think they have a chance at that? Um, I, I, mean, I think fortunately when they tried to hack away at it, there were people on both parties who said um, no. And, and again, and this was partly because of this, this idea of some sort of voter and, and constituent power. Um, people who are older or approaching um, senior citizen age were annoyed on, on both spectrums, and, and so that I think put them in check. But I don't think it's, I honestly don't think it's, it's over. I think if we, you know, if we had this, if this midterm election shows that, you know, we don't get a swing back um, to a Democratic um, House or Senate, or if it goes much more in the other way, or whatever happens in the next presidential election, I, I think it's definitely on the table. It's a huge pot of money. And it's a pot of money, the trust fund, the Social Security trust fund, that has been rated by many administrations, but in particular by this administration, um, which has borrowed about $700 billion worth of, you know, money against this, this pot, which is supposed to go to people, and then cried about the fact that the trust funds were in danger. Well, well yeah, I mean, if, the, if you're <laughs> rating them, that puts them in danger. But if you stop or if you, you know, hire the, the Social Security tax for people who make more money or whatever it is, you can, you can, you can shore up the program very easily. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, I mean, Alan Greenspan did that under, under Reagan. Yeah. And, you know, and that was, uh, you know, a Republican kind of situation. So it can be done. Um, but I think they'll bring it back if they can. Why do you think they can get away with these sorts of things? I, I, that's so, what I keep asking myself. So is, cynical. It, it, is it, so cynical. It seems very obvious to me what's going on, and, and yet the people keep re-electing uh, conservatives who are picking their pockets. Why, why do you think that is? I, I, think, I think this message of, of individual ownership is, is really entrenched, and I think they did a really good job of that, particularly in the last six years. I mean, you know, people feel that they are completely responsible for their credit debt, but they're not angry about the fact that nobody has capped credit card rates, which can go up to 30%, yeah. or that banks are gouging people who are mostly in poorer um, communities with, with loans that are exorbitant, which aren't regulated. I mean, it's, it's that disconnect. And, and even in Social Security, this idea that you can um, invest your own money. Well, yeah, I mean, that strikes at every American. We want to believe we can do stuff on our own. That, that's a very sort of American concept. But at the same time, if the deck is stacked against you, you know, you, you want to at least level that playing field. And, and that's why, you know, I, I don't know why people haven't spoken up in as many droves. I mean, we do have an election in six weeks. Um, 
And, you know, I, I hope people do kind of vote their, their wallets and realize that, that any voice matters. At the end of the day, the people in office in Washington are elected. And no matter what abysmal things they do to the budget and how much corporate money they get to be there and how many lobbyists are at their um, beck and call and vice versa, you, you know, you, you can vote them out. But th- that's p- one big part of this problem. I used to say that the Democrats represent the interest of most people and the Republicans represent the interest of capital. And But unfortunately, the Democrats... For what, for many reasons, but uh, the fact is, is they have abrogated their responsibility, their duty, com- so, so thoroughly and completely that it's it's kind of staggering to see how little uh, opposition they've been able to mount against these really horrible and draconian um, 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 laws that have yeah, been no, passed. I think you know maybe they should read my book first. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Um, it's true. You know, it's it, it's really just about what people are saying and thinking and, and their spirit. And, and I think you're right. I think the Democrats really lack the spirit. They, I think, I think that they do stand for a lot of the values that many Americans who vote either way actually want in their day to day lives. Yeah. But I think the message has to be a whole lot more. Passionate. There's no narrative. There's no story. The, the Democrats are unable to really put together a cohesive story. And that's what people need to hear. The Republicans have done a very good job. Individualism, responsibility, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps to the American dream, all that stuff. While and we waste your money. While we completely rob, while we s- steal and sell everything that's not nailed down. Right. And and uh, it's, uh, it's, it is it's staggering. And I... I've, I've, for many, many years, have you know fought the idea that the, the, you know, we need a third and fourth party. But increasingly, somebody somewhere has got to break the stranglehold that these two uh, parties have over us. Because if we don't, we will be locked in this kind of kabuki dance with these people forever. Right, and at the end of the day, again, we vote for them. We pay taxes I know. for them to do things, and and I, and I think you're right. We, either. You know, we're so much about choice in this country in terms of our individual lives, whether it's, you know, how many yogurts we can get at the grocery <laughs> store to, you know, the you know, yeah. movies on demand. To, you know, we, we're used to having all of these choices and choosing those choices. And I think, you know, there's this kind of disconnect with politics, which is partially because of the message that's been out um, in terms of this individual idea. You know, you own your responsibility and we'll take care of the risk right. of the country. Um, and it's not disconnected. But, but the other thing is these dynamics are in place all over, the, all over the electoral map, which is the Republicans, the rich, the older, tend to vote more. The Christian, you know, churchgoers, whatever, there's all kinds of dynamics. They vote for all kinds of reasons, economic reasons, cultural reasons, etc., and the people who don't vote are the people most affected by the policies that you're articulating in your book, Jack, that they're not voting. And I think one of the things that, that what happened when Martin Luther King was assassinated, not only did we lose a civil rights leader, but we lost somebody who was willing to step up and speak for the poor in this country, give the poor a, a, a vision, a story, a leader that they could understand as, as part of their own lives. And we've lost, completely lost sp- of someone who's a spokesman for the poor and the underclass in this country. And that's where the Democrats have completely given up and walked away and become corporate Democrats and the rest of it. We don't have someone who speaks for the poor. And that's what Martin Luther King did. And that's why he was such a threat. 
I think he was a threat, and I think he did, and I also think he spoke for a growing um, race, and I think even right now in some of the Latino movements, you, you, you see speakers coming forth because that's a, a very yeah. quick-growing part of our population, and I think that's important, and they mobilized like mad, you know, against some of the immigration stuff that was being thrown back and forth, and I think that's important, um, and I think the media needs to cover it as being important as well. Yeah. Those are the largest demonstrations in American history, and they've completely uh, sort of evaporated in terms of what that meant, where the dynamic was coming from, what was going on, why did they stand up and, and take to the streets? Why right. did they? We don't talk about it. If we no. don't talk about it, people, I think in this country, you, you feel like you're crazy if you think about these things in the, in the way that we're describing them now, because you never, you rarely hear it talked about in this sort of, uh, in the in the media mix that people get most of their information from, it just doesn't exist. And well, that's why that courage has to come. You know, that, that yeah. sort of inner rebel. It, it doesn't exist. And so, if, if you take the idea that has been fed us of the sort of individualism um, idea, which to a large extent we take pride in, if you take that the actual real step further, the idea of individualism is 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 about thought and speech. I mean, that's yeah. that's the core of what this country was founded on. And, and, yeah, it's tough to, you know, be against the grain. I was talking to one guy, actually, um, who had a really sort of rough life up in Harlem, and we, he was just saying, you know what I do now? Like, I'm doing a little better money-wise. You know what I do? Every single time I see a street vendor who's alone, who's trying to sell whatever it is he's trying to sell, I go up to his table. I don't buy anything. I don't have the money to do that. I wish I did, but I stand there. And by me standing there, someone else will come and stand there yeah. and look at something, and someone else will come. And before you know it, there's enough people around there, and someone's buying something, and I feel like I did what I could do. Yeah. Well, Nomi Prince, we're, we've run out of time. Um, I want to thank you so much. The book is Jacked, How Conservatives Are Picking Your Pocket, whether you voted for them or not. Uh, continue your good work. It's the uh, we can get a hold of you, or I mean, you can be more information about you is at Dems. Um, you can actually Demos. go to Jacked the Book. Jacked That's ah, the easiest to remember. www.jackedthebook, and through that you can get to me and and Demos that I work with and and different um, Sorry. organizations. Sorry, I call it <laughs> Demos. Pardon me. All right. Well, thank you, Noemi Prince. Uh, the book Jacked. Uh, check it out. Thank you for being on Weekly Signals. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And this is Weekly Signals. Weekly Signals.